Darn it. <laughs> Where were you, Arthur, earlier this morning? <laughs> we were doing the prayers. I meant to record all that. So one moment, let's get ourselves organized. We will be reading from um, Leviticus uh, Bahar chapter 25 um, in, in just a moment. And I'm just going to um, mute folks who aren't muted just because of the um, uh, the the reverberation that we get when we're not muted. So if you're on your phone and, and you want to, um, you know, if we invite questions or whatever, you can just unmute yourself on your phone by star six, or if I'm unable to mute you, um, you can do that by star six. You can also post in chat. The best way to post in chat is to post to me, not to Rabbi Lerner, because I'm the one managing the chat right now. So, um, and I see there's another new message. Where can we access the text? I will be sharing the text on the screen. Um, so you can also access it, access it at Safaria, for those of you who want to be able to see it. If you go to safaria.org. How do you spell that? Um, I'm typing it in the chat and you spell it S-E-F-A-R-I-A. And if you then go to um, Leviticus chapter 25, you will find it there as well. If you just Google that, you'll get to Safario, I'm guessing as well. But I will be sharing it on the screen as well. Page 69 for the blessing. Okay, yeah. So let's go to page 69. I'm going to share that too in a second as soon as I get there so I don't make you all dizzy scrolling through the prayer book. Um, page 69 on the screen. Um, one second and I'll get us there. For the blessings for the Torah study. Um, okay. But before I do that, I just want to invite you all to just take a look in each other's eyes. Just um, in one of my classes, Carl, who's on the call, we were closing the class and we were saying goodbye to each other. And Carl did this really exquisite thing, which is he just named everyone in the class and said thank you to each one of us. And it felt so delicious. He was really thanking me. And then he was thanking the next person. And I knew it was, it was, different thank yous for each of us, and yet it was such a genuine thank you. So we don't know each other, but we can just all be grateful that we've all shown up here together to share time together, to uh, study and learn Torah together, and to be in community together. So if you would just take a moment and look in each other's faces. Thank you all for being here. It so nourishes us. Hi, Laura, what a treat. <laughs> and Susan, <laughs> Martha, and Heidi, and every all these folks. I'm going to look at the next screen for a minute because I'm not seeing everybody on one screen. Some folks are on their um, phones. We don't see you, but you're welcome here. Isn't it delicious to be in community? Thank you all for being here. Okay, so now I will share my screen. Um, um, so yeah, no. while you're doing that, Kat, uh, you it reminded me of my younger days watching Romper Room. And remember, she would hold up this special magic mirror and say, I see cat. <laughs> yes, 
Thank you. I do remember that. Thank you for reliving the memory. You're so welcome. <laughs> um, so here we go. Um, and um, I put into um, chat earlier, but I will try to do that again. Um, I'm a little, okay, cool. Um, I will try to do that again in a minute. Um, to access the prayer book, you can also go to Bake to Coon, um, B-E-Y-T-T-I-K-K-U-N.org. And if you click there, um, then on that homepage of Beit Tikkun website, you'll see top stories, and then you'll see Beit Tikkun prayer book. And, um, and then you click on that, and you'll be able to click again to access the prayer book. Um, so that's how you access the prayer book. And uh, Philip, I just see your message. So glad you're here. Thank you. Um, okay. Take it away, <clears throat> dear. <clears throat> You're on the page 69. Baruchu et Adonai Hamborach, Baruch Adonai Hamborach Leolam Baed, Baruch Ata Adonai Eloheinu Melech Olam, Asher Bachar Banu Im Kol Hamim, Natan Lanu et Toratov, Baruch Ata Adonai Noten HaTorah. Amen. So now, okay, stop sharing this. Give me a second. There's multi-moving pieces here. Oh, okay, again, Heidi said she'd start reading, but I'm going to share again. Safaria ah, magic. Okay. Oh, okay, let me get to part one, line one. Okay. I need to do that. Okay. I muted. So go for it, Heidi. I'm going to mute us so that we may not. So we're starting, wait, say what, <coughs> we're on Deuteronomy. No, I told them, we're on uh, Leviticus, okay. Leviticus 25.1, and it's also on the screen. It's Leviticus okay. chapter 25.1. I'm going to mute us, Heidi, go for it. Heidi, we need you to unmute yourself, otherwise we're, we can't hear you, sadly. <laughs> How's that? Can you hear that me is, now? Yes, that is much better, thank you. <laughs> Yud Hey Vav Hey spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai. Speak to the Israelite people and say to them, When you enter the land that I assign you, the land shall observe a Sabbath of the Lord. Six years you may sow your field, and six years you may prune your vineyard and gather in the yield. But in the seventh year, the land shall have a Sabbath of complete rest. A Sabbath of yod heh vav -Hey. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. You shall not reap the aftergrowth of your harvest or gather the grapes of your untrimmed vines. It shall be a year of complete rest for the land. <clears throat> but you may eat whatever the land during its Sabbath will produce. You, your male and female slaves, the hired and bound laborers who live with you, and your cattle and the beasts in your land may eat all its yield. You shall count off seven weeks of years, seven times seven years, so that the period of seven weeks of years gives you a total of 49 years. Then you shall sound the horn loud. The seventh month of the 10th day of the month, the day of atonement, you shall have the horn sounded throughout your land. 
and you shall hallow the 50th year. You shall proclaim release throughout the land for all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. Each of you shall return to its holdings and each of you shall return to his family. That 50th year shall be a jubilee for you. You shall not sow, neither shall you reap the aftergrowth or harvest the untrimmed vines, for it is a jubilee. It shall be holy to you. You may eat, all, you may eat the growth direct from the field in this year of jubilee. Each of you shall return to its holding, to return its, to his holdings. When you sell property to the neighbor or buy anything from a neighbor, you shall not wrong one another. In buying from your neighbor, you shall not deduct only for the number of years since the Jubilee, and in selling to you, he shall charge you only for the remaining crop years. The more such years, the higher the price you pay. The fewer such years, the lower the price you pay. For what he is selling you is the number of harvests. Do not wrong one another, but fear your God, for I am yod Vave, I am your God. You shall observe my laws faithfully, keep my rules, that you may live upon the land in security. The land shall yield its fruit, and you shall eat your fill, and you shall live upon it in security. And should you ask, what are we to eat in the seventh year, if we may neither sow nor gather in our crops? I will ordain my blessing for you in the sixth year, so it shall yield a crop sufficient for three years. When you sow in the eighth year, you will still be eating old grain of that crop. You will be eating the old until the ninth year, until its crops come in. But the land must not be sold beyond reclaim, for the land is mine. You are but strangers resident with me. Throughout the land that you hold, you must provide for the redemption of the land. If your kinsman is in straits and has to sell part of his holding, his nearest redeemer shall come and redeem what his kinsman had sold. If a man has no one to redeem for him, but prospers and acquires enough to redeem with, he shall compute the year since, since its sale, refund the difference to the man to whom he sold it and return to his holding. If he lacks sufficient means to recover it, what he sold shall remain with the purturer until Jubilee. In the Jubilee year, it shall be released and he shall return to his holding. If a man sells a dwelling house in a walled city, it may be redeemed until a year has elapsed since its sale. The redemption period shall be a year. If it is not redeemed before a full year has elapsed, the house in the walled city shall pass to the purturer beyond reclaim throughout the ages. It shall not be released in the Jubilee. But houses in the villages that have no encircling walls shall be classed as open country. They may be redeemed and they shall be released through the Jubilee. As for the city of the Levites, the houses in the cities they hold, the Levites shall forever have the right of redemption. Such property as redeemed from the Levites, houses sold in the city they hold, shall be released through the Jubilee, for houses in the cities of the Levites are their holdings among the Israelites. But the enclosed, un, sorry, but the unenclosed land about their city shall not be sold, cannot be sold, for that is their holding for all time. 
If your kinsman, being in straits, comes under your authority and you hold him through a resident alien, let him live by your side. Do not exact from him advance or accrued interest, but fear your God. Let him live by your side as your kinsman. Do not lend him your money at advance interest or give him your food at accrued interest. I, yod heh am your God. I brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan, to be your God. If your kinsman under you continues in straits and must give himself over to you, do not subject him to the treatment of a slave. He shall remain with you as a hired or bound laborer. He shall serve you with only until the Jubilee year. Then he and his children with him shall be free of your authority. He shall go back to his family and return to his ancestral holding. For they, for they are my servants <clears throat> whom I freed the, uh, from the land of Egypt. They may not give themselves over into servitude. You shall not rule over him ruthlessly. You shall fear your God. Such male and female slaves as you may have, it is from the nations round you, about you that you may acquire male and female slaves. You may also buy them from among the children of alien residents among you or from their families that are among you, whom you begot in your land. These shall become your property. You may keep them as a possession for your children after you, for them to inherit as property for all time. Such you may treat as slaves. But as for your Israelite kinsmen, no one shall rule ruthlessly over the other. If a resident alien among you has prospered and your kinsman being in straits comes under his authority and gives himself over to the resident aliens among you or to an offshoot of the alien's family, he shall have the right of redemption even after he has given himself over. One of his kinsmen shall redeem him or his uncle or his uncle's son shall redeem him or any one of his family who is of his own flesh shall redeem him, or if he prospers, he may redeem himself. He shall compute with his purchaser the total from the year he gave himself over to him until the jubilee year. The price of his sale shall be applied to the number of years as though it were for a term as a hired laborer under the other's authority. If many years remain, he shall pay back for his redemption in proportion to his purchaser's price. And if few years remain until the Jubilee year, he shall so compute. He shall make payment for his redemption according to the years involved. He shall be under his authority as a laborer hired by the year. He shall not rule ruthlessly over him in your sight. If he has not been redeemed in any of those ways, he and his children with him shall go free in the jubilee year. For it is to me that the Israelites are servants. They are my servants who I freed from the land of Egypt. I, yud vav your God. The next two sentences too, Heidi, are part of it. Thank you. You shall not make idols for yourself or set them, or set up yourselves carved images or pillars or place figured stones in your land to worship upon. 
for I, yud heh vav heh am your God. You shall keep my Sabbaths and venerate my sanctuary, mine, that of yud heh vav heh. If you follow my laws and faithfully- That's, that's great. Thank you so much, beautiful. <clears throat> Stop sharing. So <clears throat> there. Go ahead. You're good. Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah. Anybody? You want to raise your hand if you can hear me? Okay. Good. <laughs> All right. Um, so this is. I want to uh, repeat something I I talked about last time. We have to re keep it in mind every time we read Torah that there are always two voices in Torah because there are two voices in every human being living in class societies or patriarchal societies. Namely, the voice of love, kindness, and compassion and generosity and the voice of domination and power over. And um, uh, as, as I say, the, um, uh, if you look at any of the pre-existing religions before Judaism, uh, they were mostly dominated by the voice of domination and, and uh, power over. They were supported by ruling elites and, um, and they had the function largely of reconciling people to the ruling uh, elites and the, the systems in which they had been subordinated. Judaism comes along and it has a different orientation. Judaism um, is primarily of uh, the voice of, um, of the slaves who have been freed. Um, and uh, the central, central vision of, of that is um, the Passover and the story of liberation from Egypt. And, um, uh, but of course, when you get out of the physical, um, the physical enslavement, you still have the psychological and spiritual enslavement. And uh, so, um, in the in the remaining uh, in the subsequent three thousand years, our people have had um, internalized two different voices. On the one hand, the voice of the dominant uh, systems of the world that tell you that um, uh, the world is made up of people who are just out for themselves and looking out for number one, and that you should maximize your own power and wealth and uh, screw other people, you know? And basically, you're not gonna, you know, you don't care about them, care about yourself, maybe your family, care about your family. But, um, and that, um, we see that being repeated even in our own day and um, uh, for a variety of reasons in the United States, in Israel, a lot of other places as well, most other places as well. So, the, so why would we bother to read uh, Torah? Because the amazing thing about a Torah is that it's not the only voice, that there's a counter voice, but um, a voice that says, no, there can be a different kind of world. And this chapter has within it both, both voices. So on the one end, so if you try to imagine when the, um, the Torah was actually put together, which we don't know exactly, but it's basically sometime between 500 and 300 BCE. And in that period, um, that according to the tradition, there was a thing called the Anshe Knesset Agdola, the men of the great uh, assembly, who sat together and um, created this Torah or wrote. Now that's not the, the religious story. The religious story is it was all given to Moses on Mount Sinai. 
but for those of us who are, have um, some sense of uh, the likelihood of that, um, we're more likely to look at the historical factors that shape the Torah and, um, and see that um, in the stories of the intervening history between uh, that time and this, it was very rare for people to have reference to any Torah, uh, at least until about um, 500 uh, BCE. So, um, and that when they, when, and what they found uh, when the king suddenly discovered in the treasury uh, scrolls um, is likely to have been uh, written by uh, Jeremiah and is the, is the um, Deuteronomy. So, um, but in the subsequent putting together of the Torah, the basic principle that has been part of Jewish uh, tradition from then right up till now is inclusion. Namely, you take all voices and put them together. Now imagine a group of people sitting down and trying to say, uh, uh, assembling all of the various scrolls and various stories by, um, and, um, and trying to decide what goes in where. Well, the voice of the, let's say, the, um, uh, the, re the realists, the, reduction, the, the, the people who were the reductionist, um, um, materialist consciousness amongst the, amongst the Jewish leadership were saying, wait a second, you've got to qualify, you've got to put in uh, our voice as well. And so in this chapter, we see both voices. Um, we see the voice of liberation, unbelievable voice of liberation. And then just right afterwards, because this is how it often is, sometimes it's in the same sentence, but sometimes it's, it's more clearly delineated as, as in this chapter, um, between on the one hand, God is the liberator and liberating us from all kinds of uh, oppression, in, including material oppression. And... Um, and on the other hand, this voice that says, okay, you get to keep slaves and you get to, um, and uh, they get passed on and um, all kinds of stuff that you'd say, wait a second, that's, what's liberation about that? Okay, so um, now you, you might say, well, you could imagine there being one person who wrote this whole thing, who had both voices in his or her head and uh, put that in so it's to reassure people. But, um, uh, for, for my purposes, for uh, what I want us to focus on is the first part of this, uh, of, of this chapter, the, the part that is the revolutionary message and that has been carried, carried on through, through the years. And um, there are other um, references to, this, um, to the sabbatical year um, that uh, come earlier and, and aren't in here. And the most important one is that um, it is uh, here we're talking about release from um, uh, uh, from um, work in the seventh year, but um, but an earlier reference also says and all um, all loans are forgiven on the seventh year, all loans are uh, are forgiven on the seventh year. So um, it it refers to uh, here that uh, that notion, but. Um, it's more explicitly in Mishpatim, in the in the uh, the parsha called Mishpatim in the book of Exodus. Um, so, but since we're focusing here, um, I want to say um, that uh, what's here is pretty pretty revolutionary. 
okay? It starts with the notion that the land deserves a rest, okay? Now, um, uh, this doesn't sound so revolutionary to us anymore because um, eventually the, um, uh, the, the government of the United States recognized that, um, uh, that the reason why we were facing, why they were facing uh, um, land that was no longer produ productive, um, and that was like the Dust Bowl of, uh, in, the, uh, in the 1930s, was that the people were overworking the land and that the land rebelled and wouldn't, wouldn't produce anymore. Um, now to say the land rebelled is um, a way of, un, of talking about it that imagines that in some form or other that the earth has, um, well, let's say some degree of consciousness. And uh, I'm not gonna go fully into that right, right today, although I can recommend some books um, that argue this quite, um, quite consistently. That, um, and I'll just say that from my standpoint, there is no such thing as matter separate from consciousness. That, that there is, uh, that there is that the notion of the word matter or what then became the focus of physics um, was very useful if what you were looking for was to have control over, um, over the, the, the physical world. However, um, it turned out not to be totally useful when dealing with um, other aspects of our life, including um, the production of food. Um, there you had, to, uh, you had to look at a different level. You had to, or let's say at the earth itself. And, um, and we're seeing it right now with the um, rebellion of the earth against the way that we've organized um, the society. Um, and Cat in, in the earlier part reads that, that um, work, uh, the Baha'i'im Shemoa, it shall come to pass if you pay attention to these mitzvot, things will be good. The earth will give forth its uh, um, uh, plenty. And if you don't uh, pay attention to this world, if you don't create a world based on love and kindness and generosity and social and economic justice and environmental sanity, then you'll actually get thrown off the, the land. That, that will happen. Hasn't happened yet, you're saying? Well, actually it's happened to people who have not given the earth um, a rest. Um, so this notion that the earth um, deserves a Shabbat is itself, um, of course, one that runs counter to our sense that, well, the earth can't possibly have consciousness or whatever, but, but the, the notion that's, uh, that is being put forward here is that there is some consciousness force in the universe. We call it yud heh vav the, um, that gets pronounced in our prayers as Adonai, but if you look at, you try to sound out those uh, four letters. First of all, they don't. There are no such uh, vowels in the in the Torah, and um, and secondly, if you tried to put vowels to it, it'd be very hard to. to uh, but people, the Christians, when they created their Bible, they got to they put they put uh, they put the Y into a J, and then they and they came up with Jehovah. Okay, but uh, the Jews never have done that. We don't we don't think that Yudevave is a word, uh, is a name, it is a concept. It's a concept of transformation um, because the, the three, last three letters, hey, 
hey vav hey, hove is that which is, and yud always indicates future tense, so it's moving from that which is to that which can and should be. If you want to, uh, um, if you look at it that way, okay, this is, um, uh, this is not widely accepted because Jews have not been, um, the teachers have not been uh, interested in really looking at um, how the God of the universe could possibly be a force of transformation, but that's what it is. That's what, um, uh, and, um, and when God is asked by Moses, what's your name? I'll, I'll tell, I, Pharaoh's gonna ask, what's your name? Uh, uh, he respond, God responds, um, uh, I am, the, I, I will be whom I shall be. Translated in, in the King James, it was mistranslated as I am who I am. But, um, in other words, I am that which can be. I am the possibility of possibility. I am the force in the universe that makes possible the transformation from that which is to that which ought to be. So, um, so that's what's speaking here. The force of transformation. Um, when, and, uh, and they said, Bihar, uh, why do they say, emphasize this starts with the name of this chapter of this Torah, Torah Parsha is Bihar. Why Bihar on the mountain? Wasn't everything given on the, on the mountain? Is that what, uh, you know, that's, was part of the, the Orthodox tradition was, hey, the whole thing was given on the mountain. So whoever was putting this together, um, the, the side that wanted to really emphasize the revolutionary uh, part here said, this came from Har Sinai on the Mount, Mount Sinai, okay? Meaning also, by the way, the rest is not necessarily from, uh, from that same place, except for the, the 10 speech acts that, that the uh, Christians call the, the 10 commandments, but in Hebrew it's Aseret Hadibrot, the 10 spe speech acts, but this isn't in that. So that's why they had to emphasize, this comes from, from the mountain. So here it says, okay, let the earth relax on the seventh, seventh year. The earth itself deserves a, um, a, a place of rest. Um, now, um, oh, this, this section is, um, is often um, referred to as Shemitah, this, this whole practice of, of Shemitah. And Shemitah is about release. So the first level is releasing, um, releasing the earth from the obligation to serve us and um, and letting it relax for a little bit each uh, each seventh year. But secondly, and very importantly, you see it goes very quickly into um, a, um, a a relaxation that change that is for social justice, because it, it then goes into saying you have to leave the land fallow in that year. And the poor are able to come and eat, uh, eat the the food of the land. The land becomes hefker. It 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 literally in um it becomes own uh, ownerless uh, ownerless. In other words, you've been working on this land and you've had it for a certain amount of time, and then on the seventh year you've got to stop. But you and you're allowed to go out and take some stuff yourself. Um, Although, let's see, what the, hold on, um, the rabbis say um, uh, here on, in, the, in the mission, they say it's like this, that um, uh, you're, during the Shemitah, that's this whole process, the land is left lie fallow, 
and, um, and all agricultural activity, including plowing, planting, pruning, and harvesting is forbidden. Um, uh, other, uh, um, uh, other cultivation techniques, such as watering, fertilizing, weeding, spraying, trimming, and mowing may be performed as a preventive measure only, a preventive measure only, but not to improve the growth of trees or other plants. Uh, additional fruits or herbs which grow of their own accord and where no watch is kept over them are deemed uh, ownerless, namely um, available to anybody. So this is the time when the poor have a right to go on your land and take as much food as they want, of certainly as much of the, the vegetables and the, uh, and the fruit as they, um, and of course, so, so this is a, one of the major distributive, uh, redistributive measures of, of Torah is that, and it's not that you're doing them a favor, okay? This is um, the law. This is the law. You cannot, on the seventh year, now you too may be able to take some of the stuff that falls on the ground, uh, like fruit or whatever, or grows spontaneously, but you have to leave, leave it uh, a lot for everybody else. So that, um, now there is the, the, uh, the injunction elsewhere that says, even in the other six years, uh, if something falls from, when you're doing a harvesting, and something falls from your, uh, your hands or from the, the cart onto the ground, you have to leave it there for the poor to come and, and pick it up. But on the seventh year, it's no longer yours, okay? It, you don't own it at all. But then the seventh, eighth year, you get to own it again, okay? So, so you haven't lost every, uh, everything if you've bought, bought some land. But um, then it talks about the Jubilee, and the Jubilee is the year when, um, that comes after the seventh of the seven years. On the Jubilee, um, you, uh, everybody returns to their original distribution of, so the original distribution of land was done by, uh, by tribes. And so you go back to what tribe you came from and your tribe owns the land that was originally allocated. And it was allocated by God according to, um, uh, roughly equal uh, in the value of the land. So, um, so this is a major redistribution, okay? Because you're, you're in, you may have left the land, you may have married out, you're in another place and you know, you're, uh, you're no longer, you don't feel connected to it. Maybe your father or your grandfather already uh, moved to another place and you're living in someplace else. But if you want any ownership, you have to go back to the original place because because and where if you bought anything now it warns people okay okay be fair um, if you're buying some if you're buying some land from me you're not really buying the land the land doesn't belong to you ever it only it belongs only to God that's what and that's what God's saying when he says when God says or she says or it says um, look uh, um, you, first of all, that you should tell them, whoever is buying land from you, they're not buying land. They're buying a certain number of harvests uh, that they have a right to. Um, but eventually, the land is all going to go back to, first of all, in the seventh year, 
um, it's going to belong to nobody, and everybody can come to your land and take as much as they as they need. But on the um, and then on the fiftieth uh, year, um, then at that point um, you go back to your original land, and they go back to their original land. So it's a redistribution that uh, essentially equalizes things again, um, so that. There must, there must have already been in God's consciousness or in whoever, whoever came up with, with this brilliant idea, the idea that, you know, um, things get unequal, that there are diff different people have different foci, that maybe uh, this land, were, that the land here didn't produce as much as the land over there and so forth, and so they moved and, they, uh, and things got unequal. Some people got, ended up with more than others, okay? It hasn't, um, the Torah hasn't forbidden people from uh, accumulating more than others. It just redistributes it. It doesn't say it's a sin. It just says, okay, it's not really yours. And if you're saying, um, we don't, you know, how are we going to do this? Um, uh, that's my land. And God comes in here and says, no, the whole land is mine, not yours. Who are you? You are. Um, uh, people who are just here as um, sojourners on the land, okay? You're sojourners here. You, you're, and the truth of the matter is that most of us uh, have a, a lot of trouble getting that into our head because it's a rather, um, it, it's a rather shocking message, but it's also a deep truth that, um, that we are um, here for a little bit of time and then we're going to die, you know, and we're going to go away. And there'll be others who come after us. You know, this is something that uh, in the book of, uh, of uh, Kohelet, the, the guy who wrote uh, Ecclesiastes, he's, he's uh, moaning about it, he's saying, you know, I worked very hard. I, you know, I did all, all kinds of things. But who knows, the people who come after me, will they be a fool? Will they be smart? Will they use what I, will they continue what I wanted to, to have happen? No. So um, it's hard to get, hard to really get it that we're all going to be dead <laughs> and that, um, that we're just here as sojourners as, uh, and we don't have rights to property. And that's, so this is what it's essentially saying. You don't have a right to property in anything like what it meant to have a right of property in, um, in uh, capitalist societies. This is, there is no such right. You have a right to, um, to claim it for six years and control it for those six years. The seventh year, you've got to let it go. Um, let go and let everybody who wants. It's hefkir. It's like dust of the earth. Nobody, nobody can uh, claim to own that, uh, that land. And so if some, somebody says, you can't come onto my land. Okay. Nope. <laughs> You're out. Okay. The seventh year, you, have, uh, you don't have any right to say that to anybody. They can come and take whatever they need, um, and you can too, take what you need. So um, uh, do you see how it's really a, uh, an anti-capitalist consciousness? It's a, it, it says nobody owns anything here. No, nobody owns this land. And by the way, this consciousness was there at, um, in the beginning of the Zionist movement, or at least uh, in, when the uh, Zionists were um, uh, buying up land, 
they weren't buying it up in the, in the name of the person or a group of people who wanted to live here. They were buying it up in the name of the Jewish people, that nobody in particular would own, own land. Now, it got screwed up, as we know, in a variety of ways. <laughs> but, well, I'm not going to go into the Zionist history at the moment. Um, but, um, but, okay, so what's being said here is, um, hey, no right to property, no right to property, a right to have to uh, work on the land for six years and then share it on the seventh year with everyone. And it's not like you can go out and say, this is mine and I'm sharing it. No, this is God's. <laughs> and God is sharing it with me and everyone else who, who, who wants it. So it's a different, uh, it's a radically different consciousness, a radically different consciousness than the consciousness of our contemp contemporary world. So um, before I go into the next part of the conversation, which is how will we, uh, what can we take from this for the contemporary world? I want to ask you if you would be willing now to go into small groups and just give your reactions to this, um, uh, uh, reactions to this whole thing um, with the people in the small, in? small group that you're in. How many people do we have? Yeah, just tell me how many people you want in the room. Um, well, let's say, uh, Four people in a room with that? Three to four, okay. Okay, three or four people in a room. Okay, so we're gonna send you to a little room with somebody, and first thing you have to do is introduce yourself to them, say a word or two about who you are, where you're coming from. I mean, not physically, How but whatever. Um, and well, what time is it now? 11.20. Okay, how about 10 minutes in that? That's not enough time. What? But three to four people. Okay, then, then make it three people, okay? Uh, ten. Well, I can't. It's three to four. I can't do that. Like, let me see something. Uh, recreate. You can't do three. No, it doesn't matter because. Uh, okay, let's do. Matter. No, I'm just gonna be three to four. Okay, so ten minutes and um, share your thoughts and make sure that everybody gets a chance to share what what you are thinking about about this. And then we'll come back and get to the next part, which is what, what part of this can we use uh, in reconstructing our society today? So for those of you aren't familiar, most of you are, you'll get a little thing that pops up on your screen that says enter breakout room. So go to your breakout room. I'm going to unmute everybody. I'm just going to get really obnoxious for a moment. Um, but I do that because it seems to help facilitate getting unmuted in the rooms. But um, if you're on the phone, it's star six to unmute. Okay, so I've opened the rooms. And now you're all in. Now you're all in. This is really obnoxious. Can see me? <laughs> I don't know. I'm supposed to go to 10, but. That's There's a few people who don't go. Yeah. I guess I could push later so they don't expect me to show up. Are you going to go to the room? It says join. Join later. Mark, do you want to go to your room? Do you want to go to your room? Go to your room. Dan. Dan, hi. Right now. You don't want to go right now? No. Okay. But I'll be back to hear later what's coming in 10 minutes. Okay, okay great. Come back in 10 minutes then. Great, yeah. thank you.
It's freaky, isn't it? It is. It's... Ten minutes. That's, that's what time. That's the amount of time we're supposed to be in the breakout room. Everybody's gonna. The three or four people are gonna talk about what is useful today, which is what I'm interested in. Uh, how how he's gonna interpret. 